Welcome to the Build Your Base podcast. My name is Jack Thomas. I am the host of the show. We've got a very special guest today, and that is Suzanne Hosley. Now, Suzanne is CEO of Fit Thailand, and Fit Thailand offer the personal training certifications, not just for Thailand, but for many countries around Asia. Now, they, she and her team have worked with the ACE, which is the American Council of Exercise, to bring, it, bring in to Thailand fitness qualifications in 2005. So she's been running these certs for 17 years now in this city. She's certified thousands of coaches, some of which have been working for the big chains, such as Fitness First or California Wow back in the day. And now she has many different types of people doing these certifications, some in the industry, some just for their own personal development. Now, I've been a good friend of Suzanne for over 10 years now. When I first got in the fitness industry, I went to the Asia Fitness Conference in 2011. That was the third conference that they had, and they've been running every year since then with a brief pause for COVID. This year will be the first in-person conference for three years. I'm really excited to be speaking at the events uh, as part of a panel on fitness business and also we're running a base boot camp as well and that's uh, a fitness session so we will be doing a workout, we will be training but it's also teaching people how to deliver a great group class. So we're really excited at base to be part of the Asia Fitness Conference. I would urge anyone who's interested in learning more about health, fitness, nutrition, the business side of the health and fitness industry to go to the AFC. This year they have two-day and three-day options. We do have a 10% off code that you can use, AFC2022 underscore base. But all the details for this are in the notes of this episode. And just to reiterate, it's not just for coaches. They have many people joining the AFC who are simply interested to learn more about fitness. And even some investors or business people that are interested in learning more about this space as well. Really great interview with Suzanne. This was actually the first in-person interview I did for over two years. So it was really nice to actually speak in person to someone face-to-face. There's such a more natural back and forth that you have when you do the interviews face-to-face. So I really had a lot of fun. Suzanne has an amazing story with 37 years of experience in Asia. 17 or so years of that in the fitness industry and I'm sure you'll learn a lot today as well. Okay ladies and gents this is our interview with Suzanne Hosley CEO of Fit Thailand and the Asia Fitness Conference. Fitness Business Asia we are joined today by Suzanne Hosley and I'm really excited to do this interview for two reasons. One we've been talking about it for a long time. Yes, I think for the last few years of getting together and, and telling your story and I know it's a real important one for the industry in Asia. And then secondly, this is our first in-person interview that I think we've done for the last two and a half years. So definitely a special interview for me. Thank you for joining today. Um, how are you doing today? How, how are things in Bangkok, Thailand at the moment? Things are good. Things are rainy. Yes. <laughs> which is okay. But things are good. We're, we're doing well and uh, we've, we're full, we're busy. That's we're great. We're excited. That's great. Yeah. We talked a little bit before we hit the record button about some of the trends in sh- and shifts in and out of the fitness industry. You have a very close eye on that, of course, with the qualifications that you're doing. What, what have we seen? Is, have many people left the fitness industry? Are many people joining the fitness industry? How have your numbers been for your qualifications overall? Um, both leaving and joining, and therefore our numbers are pretty much what they've been in the past. 
So we are pretty close to having the same number of students as we did in 2019. That's awesome. So that's great. And, and I think what we do, education and certification, I think we're relatively recession-proof. Mm-hmm. Because when people are making money and happy with what they're doing, then the fitness professionals come in. When things are falling apart, then people who aren't fitness professionals want to become, want to try something different. Mm. So I think that's what's happened. We've got a lot now of newbies, a lot of people who are um, fitness enthusiasts who say, hmm, maybe I want to do this for a living. And was it the conditions of the last few years? Was it sort of lockdowns, reconsidering life, working from home that made them consider a career in fitness? Sure. I mean, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people's jobs have changed so that they don't like what they're doing anymore. So, yeah, a lot of it has been the effect of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. employment and people's mindsets as well. I think a lot of people now are saying, Look, for two and a half years, I haven't done what I've wanted to do. What do I want to do? Hmm, let's try this. It's interesting because we've seen that for sure at base. We've had some people come from other industries into fitness. Yeah. And we've seen the other way as well yes. because it really yes. highlighted that there is a lack of stability. Yeah. You know, if you worked for, say, Agoda or one of the big tech companies here in Bangkok, then you were fine, right? Or you worked from home. <laughs> right? You were then you were especially well. But any sort of tech-based job, you were at home still earning full salary. And I think it was interesting as well because it did show which coaches could adapt and do online. Because actually what we do can be done online. And we've talked about it not being the same and we can have a conversation around that. But actually the coaches that were a bit more, you know, really sort of putting themselves out there actually did quite well. Yeah, yeah. Online coaching. I think that's happened worldwide. Mm. Basically, uh, fitness professionals who are really good at it and put themselves into it, they did okay during the pandemic. Mm. They did all right. Um, but you had to adapt. You just had to adapt. If you didn't adapt, then no. It's like, okay, now what? Mm. Did you see any shifts and changes in which qualifications people were doing? Was there a shift more towards you know, group class or personal training? You, of course, offer a whole range of courses, nope. or pretty much the same? Pretty much consistent. We get a lot of people wanting to the mo- most of our students want to become personal trainers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are interested in nutrition. A lot of people are interested in training seniors or youth, or, and that kind of stuff hasn't really changed. So we're, we're offering the same courses. We, we have started a couple of special courses that were because of the pandemic, but putting emphasis on stress management, sleep management, <laughs> Interesting. Energy boosting, those kinds of things. Stress management. I could do a stress, stress management coach, I think, after the last few years. So if you've had a particularly good student come through, please do connect. Um, okay. In, interesting to hear for sure how things have developed. So much that I want to dig into. But actually, where I'd like to start, Suzanne, is when did you first come to Asia? Like, What, what brought you into this region? Oh, wow. I came to Asia before you were born. Really? <laughs> sure. I came to Asia in 1984. I was two. You were two. Oh, there you go. (laughs) You were two. I was working. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and where did you come? What brought you here? Uh, I went to Singapore, actually, which is kind of Asia light. Um, The my then husband applied for a job in Singapore, 
and I applied to do my MBA in Paris. And we said, whoever wins, that's where we're going. <laughs> and he won. And then we had to look Singapore up on the map. <laughs> where are we going? Um, but it was for three years. Uh, we were only supposed to be here for three years. And 30-something uh, years later, <laughs> I'm still here. Okay, let, let's go step by step then. So I guess when was your first step into fitness and where, what really led to that step mm. into fitness? Like, What opportunities did you see and when was that? That was in Thailand, actually. I came, we came to live in Thailand in 20, 2001 and a big mess at a then established large fitness center. <laughs> Which shall remain unnamed. <laughs> Which shall remain unnamed. But Anyone in Thailand will know, of course. Yes. <laughs> a big mess that happened there. I was a member. My husband was a member. And so this is 2000... 2003. Okay. That was when I arrived in Thailand. Yeah. Yep. So um, my personal trainer asked if we could help them and explain the situation. And it was a terrible situation. It was just a new manager had come in and was doing trying to make a mark and in the process basically uh, accusing staff of stealing money from the club. So we helped them and they all resigned. They all ended up resigning. Um, and then they came back to me and said, hey, can we get certified? Because no one's going to hire us now. <laughs> can you sort that out for us, please, Suzanne? So could you please do that? And I said, what certification? I knew nothing about it, but I was in education. I've been in education forever. So we scrounged around and went and looked at all kinds of certifications in Australia, in the US, in Canada, and we figured out one that was happy to help us set an exam. And so we plugged together a course and we got 15 of those trainers from that mess on the course. And um, they came, they studied, they passed the exam, and then people were saying, when is the next one? And I said, there is no next one. I have a job. <laughs> I have a job at a university, and, and that's what I'm going to do. But my husband said, you know, you had so much fun doing this, and you don't like what you're doing anymore at the university. So why don't we set up a training center? And that was it. Fit was born. Fit was born in 2000, January 2005. That's a really cool reason <laughs> to start a business. <laughs> a really cool reason. Um, and of course, you've been the main provider of qualifications since then. At what point did you think, hey, you know what? This is actually a business opportunity. Like, at what point did it go from like, oh, this is kind of fun and I'm not enjoying my job to like, actually, Thailand needs this. There's a, there's a deep need for it. I think we always knew that there was a deep need for it. It's just we had to convince the world of <laughs> yeah. that. Because um, Thailand, like most countries in Asia, have no requirement for certification in the fitness industry. But it, people don't know what they're doing, mm. didn't know what they were doing. They, they learned, they were, but you know, not 100% sure. And clients couldn't be 100% sure that their trainers knew what they were doing. So I think we've always known that there was a need for it. Um, but the market kind of caught up with us after a couple of years. The first year, 
the first course that we ran here at FIT, we had to beg, borrow, and steal students. <laughs> we even had, the British club was a client. They had a trainer, uh, but they didn't have any money. So we said, no problem. He can come on the course, and when he starts to do personal training after he graduates, you can send us all his revenue <laughs> until you've paid for the course. That's fair. Yeah, it worked. Brilliant. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing we had to do at the beginning because people said they wanted to, but they didn't want to invest in it. Interesting. Interesting. Did, did you see a tipping point at some stage where suddenly you're like, hang on, we don't need to go out and beg, borrow, and steal students. They're actually coming to us now. Yeah. Well, we now... For the last, I would say the last 10 years, we don't advertise. We don't, we don't do anything. People just show up and it's word of mouth. Mm. Um, interestingly, yesterday I was at a fitness club that I used to be a member of to talk to the owner, the new owner, about things we could do to cooperate. And one of the members was down there and he went, Suzanne, how are you? <laughs> he was my student eight years ago. And it's like that. They were, you know, people talk to people who talk to people. Mm. And so we get walk-ins now. We don't, yeah. we don't advertise. Touch wood. Mm. Very lucky. Well, you know, you Google personal training certification Bangkok. You guys are the first one that comes up. And then, of course, you have waves of students that come in. They tell their friends. Correct. And you've got the buy-in from the big chains as well. What, what kind of people were coming in in those early days? Because I, I've been here since 2003, so I basically witnessed... So yes. the, the really the development the evolution really yeah. yeah of the fitness industry here, which has really been fascinating. And I feel yes. very lucky actually that I arrived yes. kind of when I did to, to witness all of that. What kind of people were coming in then at, at the beginning? Was at the it... beginning, it was personal trainers. Okay. At the beginning, it was people working in the industry who wanted to up their qualifications and be able to say, "Poof, look at me, mm, I'm mm. certified." So that was at the beginning. There's been a big shift over the 17 years that we've been here, um, towards fitness enthusiasts right. who are considering, ooh, maybe this, could, maybe this is a job that I'd like. Or even just like their own personal development. Uh, well, yes. And that's the unfortunate part. Most of the time, it's people who come in because they want to know more themselves. They want to know more about anatomy, about training methods, about programming, about nutrition, about, which is fabulous. But we get a few people, luckily not too many, but we get a few people who come in and say, look, for the price I pay for this course, I get 20 personal training sessions, and that's it. <laughs> the trainer's not very good, so <laughs> I'm going to learn to train myself. Okay. Now, that's a bit sad. A little we don't, bit sad. We don't want that. Nice that they're kind of empowering themselves, but just not a, a good reflection on the industry. Correct. But I think that speaks to the need. Correct. Yeah. That speaks to the need, right? Yeah. Okay. So you, you've set this up. You've got people coming through. May I ask how many people you've qualified to be personal trainers? I mean, you must be talking thousands. Oh, right? thousands, thousands. We run 25 personal training courses per year with 15 people on them. So we train 500 people a year. And we've been around for 17 years. Now, we didn't train 500 people a year in the first couple of years, but we regularly do now. And we don't just do personal training now. We also yeah. have Pilates instructor training, yoga instructor training. We're starting AFAA group fitness instructor training this year. So 
That's awesome. And I've really seen the impact that's had on the industry as well. You know, it's not just people getting qualified, but it just sort of raises the bar for everybody, really. And it becomes a standard, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do the chains now require? You know, if you look at your Fitness First and your Virgin Actives, they require certification. It's really interesting. Fitness First, when we first started working with them, required they had ACE, American Council on Exercise Certification, as part of their promotion policies and salary policies. It's now fit. I don't care about AC. <laughs> if you're fit qualified, nice. okay, that's in. Um, and same thing for Virgin Active. They, you know, they recognize. So, so fit is recognized in Thailand. I mean, that's great. You know, and that's that's a huge legacy. Go so outside of Thailand, forget it. Because we used to have fits all over the place. We had fit China, Taiwan, wow. Singapore, Malaysia, India. We had fits in a lot of places, but then we said, hey guys, you've been doing this for 10 years. Mm. You can run it yourself. Just, it was too much work. Right. Because you have to supervise and look at the standards everywhere, which means you have to travel all the time to do that. And I'm the only English speaker. Mm. So a lot falls on your shoulders. So as I know, yeah. <laughs> you've got to step in and do the courses if no one like, else can. <laughs> hang on a minute. Yeah. So can I talk through that period of 2003 to about 2010, which is when, when I got in the fitness industry? Uh -huh. So just how it developed, how quickly it picked up. Yeah, well, let, let, let's start there. You know, those first few years, did you just see numbers grow every year? Numbers were growing every year, but the fit facility was half the size it is now. So we couldn't have the numbers that we have now. Um, it grew slowly, and we did a lot of promoting, we did a lot of advertising, we did a lot of booths at fitness fairs and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that we started in 2009 was the Asia Fitness Conference, and that was because our graduates were saying, hey, can you, we, we want more. Give us more. <laughs> <laughs> we want more, we want more, and we're going, hey, Bill. And then they said, could you please organize a group trip to IDEA? in the wow. US. And so we organized that and we costed it out and we sent it out and everyone went, we can't afford that, it's too expensive. So Cameron and I spoke to each other and said, let's see what happens. And so we picked out 10 people that if we could get them to come to Thailand, we could try doing a conference. So we wrote to the 10 people, that included Peter Twist, Fabio Kamana, Jim Stopani. The old classics. Yeah. yeah. We wrote to them and said, if we organize a fitness conference in Thailand, would you come? And every single one of them said yes. That's so cool. And then we looked at each other and went, Now what? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> how do you organize a fitness conference? So we did that and that, that raised the profile of fit, that helped. And we, got, mm. we started attracting people regionally. Now, the first AFC was tiny. There were 300 delegates. Which year was this? 2009. Oh, wow, okay. So I only missed the first two then. 2011 was yeah. my first one. Okay. Yeah, so you didn't go to, it was at Central World. Oh, wow, okay. Central World. Yeah, Queen's Park Plaza. On oh, yes. Yes, yeah, yes, that yes, was, yes, that yes. That was my that first was 2011. One. I was blown away. I really was. Just seeing all of these international educators. I'd literally taken my first steps into the industry. I must have been two months qualified. Oh, wow. And it was, yeah, it was really outstanding to, to yeah. I remember Michelle Docor, yeah. Viper, such an impressive speaker. Yeah. Yeah, just, 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 just a really great time. time. Yeah. Talk us through that first one, though. Like, how, how did you make it happen? 
Like, uh, how well, did you pull it together? Was event management something you'd, you'd done before? No. <laughs> no, what we did is we partnered with a conference organist, a conference organizer. And so they did all the back office stuff and the, you know, the registration and the, all. We had no idea how to do that. What we did is we designed the program and we invited the presenters and we put together the education and they took care of the rest. How many did you have in the first one? How many? Uh, you know, delegates, participants? 300. Okay. It's pretty good, right, for the first one? It's not bad. It grew to over 1,000, 1,200. Nice. Now with the pandemic, of course, those numbers are going to go down mm. again because people are wary of traveling. But, uh, and how were they received, those first presenters? You know, people must have, must have been pretty excited to see them come over from America. Oh, yeah. They were so excited. They were so impressed. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that the that AFC grew was because the delegates were so excited and communicated that to the presenters who then said, hey, wow, this is a great event, and they told all their friends, and so the next year when we sent out a request for presenter application, we were inundated. Oh my goodness, now what do we do? <laughs> and so it just grew and grew and grew because the delegates were so enthusiastic, which made the presenters so enthusiastic, right. which made the delegates so enthusiastic. So it's just a feed, That's cool. a feed on itself. It That's really cool. And they must have seen the opportunity to bring their personal brands bring the energy sure. into a new region, right? An up-and-coming region. That must have been a big motivator for them. When we started AFC, TRX did not exist in Asia. BOSU did not exist in Asia. Viper did not exist in uh, None of those things were here. All you had in gyms was big equipment and dumbbells. Mm. That was it. I think there's a lesson there for like diving into opportunities that come up, new emerging markets for sure, you yeah. know, don't shy away. And I think, you know, as you've just mentioned, those, those brands and those people benefited greatly actually, right? They're, they're huge now. Yeah. Well, yeah, most of them. Most of them. Yeah, yeah. If you could go back, Suzanne, to 2009, because when I see these things being run, the AFC, I'm just like, how do you do that? There must be so much going on, so many decisions to make, so many moving parts. And I can yes. see that you was you know, running around doing so many things. <laughs> Going back to 2009, like what, what would you do differently? What lessons have you learned from the last 13 years of running the AFC? Ah, that's a very good question. What have I learned? I've learned that you can do it on your own. You don't need a partner. So we don't have partners anymore. Fit runs the whole thing. And so as you gain more experience, you are more able to do that. As you gain more experience, that. you figure out things and you, yeah. So we run it ourselves and it's easier that way. There are many fewer arguments <laughs> because we were focusing on the education and our partners focusing on the exhibition. Partners full stop is tough. We, we talked about it a lot yes. on the podcast. It's something that needs to be very carefully considered, right? Very carefully considered, yeah. So we went from one partner to another to none. <laughs> and while it's much more work, it's easier. Mm, it's mm. easier, it flows more smoothly, and, and mm. we developed a, a close team that worked very well together. Mm. So. And you can just control the process more, I guess, yeah. right? It just makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. And then I don't want to dwell too much on the last few years, but we talked again <laughs> before we hit record about you realizing that AFC is, is an, an in-person experience, really, right? Because I yes. remember in 2020 you saying that you didn't want to do online because it was an in-person experience. And then you did, I think, the best thing that you could have done at the time in 2021 and had that 
But you were saying that you know you know now that AFC it's it's an in-person thing. Is that is. is that fair to say? Yeah, AFC is an in-person thing, and Fit Education is an in-person thing. Mm. We will do online if we have to for people who are far away, out of the country, who still want us to to train them, and we can save them money by doing some online. But no, the fitness conference is an in-person thing. Yeah, it's. A big part of it is networking. You can't network on Zoom. I don't care how many networking opportunities you set up. You, you can't do that. So it's networking. It's, it's friends. It's learning by doing. If you're doing it on a screen, you're not getting any feedback. You don't know if you're doing it right or wrong. You're just doing it. So it really is an in-person thing. Yeah, the listeners won't know this, but I'm nodding along in agreement now. <laughs> I totally agree. And for me, I've actually realized, especially over the years, now it's more about networking, I think. It's more about those personal connections yes. that you make. I mean, that's how I feel. Probably different when I first went. You know, I was really into the education side, whereas now, obviously, still got a lot to learn. But I just love that networking aspect. Yeah. And I've been to online conferences where they try and have these Networks speed things. networking thing, and it flicks through every minute. And it's just, yeah, it, I avoided those like the plague after yeah. a while. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. No, so yeah, definitely happy to have in-person back for sure. It's, it's really nice to see or to hear uh, the reaction of past delegates who are coming this year. And they're just so excited. One, one of them said, I'm going to cry <laughs> as soon as I walk in and see it. Uh, and a lot of people are saying, oh, I can't wait to see my friends again. I can't yeah. wait to see the group. I can't wait. So, so the networking and the development of these relationships is a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. I think most big, of the world is, of is certainly feeling that. I want to go back a little bit again. So can you just talk us through Thailand's fitness industry? We talked a lot about, you know, fit and, and the AFC, of course. But how have you seen Thailand's fitness industry evolve? Huge, you know, huge. we had the, some of the early casualties, right? You know, such as the one that you talked about. Like, well, what changes have you seen and where when, are we at now? When we started, there was one fitness first. It was at Landmark. And there was one California fitness center, not California Wow, on Ceylon. That was it for big gyms. Other than that, hotel there were gyms, hotel right? gyms. Yeah, yeah. It was hotel gyms. What wow. was that chain of It's Clark Hatch. I think Clark we talked Hatch. about this before. <laughs> yeah. Never actually saw a Clark Hatch in person, but saw it online I did. and stuff. <laughs> I did. They had nine Clark Hatches. Here. I saw that, yeah. Are they um, still around? No, oh, okay. They're gone. Right. Uh, I think they still exist in Malaysia with okay. a different name. But. This goes to show that you can be, was Clark Hatch Hotel or was it like hotel? a chain? Oh, it was hotel. It was a chain of hotel gyms. Okay, okay. They were only in hotels. So that's what it was. There were hotel gyms. There was the start of big chain, but just very, very beginning. It was very small. There were very few studios. There was uh, Daniel. I have a studio. Oh, yes. Okay. So before Aspire? I don't know. Before Aspire. Um, it was over was here on Mount Swan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tiny little studio. He was about the only studio in town. Yeah. Yeah. There were, and look at it now. There's studios everywhere. Oh, okay. There's freelance trainers everywhere. Fitness First has 25, 30 branches. Mm -hmm. uh, Jets now must have a good 30 or so. Jets is close to 30, so a lot of the franchises have come in. Mm. It, it's huge. It's growing. Look at yourself. Mm. <laughs> it's been interesting to see the boutique sort of studio yes. 
nice. space really developed. I remember yeah. when we opened the lab, it was pretty much just Daniel and Rich, right? Yeah. You had Daniel who had Aspire or whatever it was called before that, yeah. then Rich with the lab. And it was interesting because we had about a year when we were doing really well, we were really busy, but the rest of the market just hadn't caught up yet. And so it was pretty much just us for a while. And then suddenly it was like, ding, kaproof, ding, kaproof, ding, kaproof. boom, yeah, on the mat. <laughs> and then it was like, it just seemed like studios were, were everywhere. Yeah. And I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast. At that time, I was really nervous at first. You see another studio open up and you're like, oh my God, <gasps> I'm going to take my clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after a while, you really see how the industry needs it. And, you know, the lab was just getting busier and busier, yeah. even when other gyms were opening up, even yeah. quite near. And I've totally have a completely different approach now. And this is good. This is what the industry needs. It does yes. need new studios. And if we're all fearful of each other, we, we don't end up in a good place. Because yeah. they attract different types of people. And in different areas. Yep. In different areas as yep. well. That, that's always been an interesting one for me. You know, if something opens up in, you know, Bang Na, let's say, and they're doing something really well, well, that kind of opens up the market there. Yeah. Perhaps base can go there and Physique 57 and yeah. other new gyms as yeah. well. So it's been interesting to kind of see that evolve. It's fascinating to see how it's gone. It really, mm. really is. At some point, we were asked to help set up a fitness association. And that was owners of local small gyms, not the Fitness First, not the California Fitness. And it was Thai local gyms. And there were quite a number of them. Okay. Uh, but of course, it never worked because... <laughs> Try and get a bunch of gym owners to agree on anything. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. I've heard conversations about this. Um, the reality is, it's just, it, unfortunately, it is hard. I've got some really good friends in the fitness industry here, and then I've got people who I know are not really interested in friendships for certain reasons, yeah. right? I think, is it just like a fear of competition? Is, it, is, it, is that what it, it is? That I think it them? is. It is. It's a fear of competition, and it's, you know, you're not in exactly the same market, so you have different priorities and Mm. It's a shame, I it think, is a shame. But, but understandable. I, I think, think every it, industry has this, right? Yeah. It would have been good. It would have been a nice thing to do, but mm. it didn't work. And mm. I think that's why, you know, for, for me, I started looking outside of Thailand, <laughs> you know, because I realized I've got a few good friends in the industry. Some are basically direct competitors. You know, my old boss, Richard, we get together right. and we tell each other everything now, which is, which is really awesome. <laughs> but that's... Yeah, the exception that's rather than the rule, unfortunately, I think. Yeah. And it, it sort of felt like it's, even if I reached out to studio owners, they would actually sometimes, not always, view me with a suspicion. Yeah, like, mm, what does this guy want? Yeah. Is he coming in to like smile yeah. on us and get yeah. information? And so I sort of thought, well, you know what, if I look at Singapore, for example, everyone lets their guard down, everyone's happy to talk. And so that, that kind of made it a little because bit easier you're far to network. Away. You're right, not a yeah. You're but then not soon a I might be a threat, <laughs> <laughs> or they might consider me a threat, and it might change the dynamic a little yes, bit. Yes. I have seen that. Do you think that's improved a little bit? That whole idea of sort of just collaborating a little bit more as an industry. Do you feel we're heading in the right direction, or not really? I think. I mean, so. I, I would say AFC has played a part in, in that, and you know, other conferences I as well. I think AFC and Fit Summit, yeah, because Fit Summit brings together owners, managers. Mm. So their Fit Summit is kind of the Ursa of Asia, yes. and we're the idea mm. of Asia. Mm. <laughs> so we attract different different crowds, but both are needed in order to make the industry yeah. a more of a collaboration than a competition. Absolutely. I mean, I, I connected with other coaches in the industry through um, AFC. Yeah. You know, so you sort of felt like that was happening a little bit. I would get to know freelancers and then you'd see them around in condo sure. gyms and it just kind of helped 
yeah. with that. Make connections abroad, like Sasha. She yes. was based in Vietnam at the time, and she ended up coming to the lab. So you could really see She's that in that Sri Lanka now. She is, yeah, not not a great place to be at the moment, but she seems pretty pretty settled there. Mm. That was something else I wanted to ask you, Suzanne. Okay, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, at one stage, believe it or not, was actually close to going to Sri Lanka with Sasha. I know, I know, um, but luckily I didn't. I decided to stay in, in Bangkok, and I remember speaking to you about this. That you look, it's easy to look at an, a market such as Myanmar such as Sri Lanka, and to go there and go, oh my God, this is just the land of opportunity. Such an opportunity, yeah. And like, you know, things are growing, you know, GDP is off the charts, and there's new projects left, right, and center, and everyone I speak to wants to invest, and this is the place to be. And I, I started to see that development and progress is often a lot slower than you think, oh, yes. and a lot more unpredictable. Yes. And I remember you telling me about Vietnam, and then yep. people were saying that was the land of opportunity you've oh, got yeah. to get in. And of course, it just it went up, it went down, it went stagnant. Can you tell us just a bit more about that? Because I think there's an important lesson for people looking at these markets and thinking, oh my God, I've got to go in right now. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I went to Vietnam in, the, in 1993. Uh, and I was running a Swedish-funded project to set up the first business school in the country. Wow. Everyone in those days was setting up the first something in the country. <laughs> It was just opening up. Uh, and of course, there were tons of investors coming in. There were tons of people who were putting money into all kinds of projects. Um, our project lasted seven years before that business school became viable on its own. So it takes time to build capacity. It takes a lot of time to build local capacity. And there can be no success without local capacity. Yeah. And that's what happened. The foreign investors disappeared at the end of the 1990s. I often joke that I was like the last one out, locked the door, turned the lights off. But it came back. It came back because of local capacity and local investment. And now it's a, it's a good mix of both foreign investment and local investment. There's enough, you know, 28 years on, right? 29 yes. years on. Yeah, it's just taken a lot, a lot longer than people think. Yeah. Were they saying at that time, like, this is it, it's boom oh, time. Of course, everyone was there. It's the you gold rush. couldn't find a hotel room because everyone was coming to, ooh, I'm going to invest. This is the big market. This is a huge open market. If only one person in Vietnam per day bought one Coke per day, right, look right. at the income we'd be getting. It was so hard. It is an important lesson, an interesting one. And I almost fell victim to this because not only was Sri Lanka, I would have fallen victim to that for sure if I'd, if I'd made that decision. But also, I was looking closely at Myanmar. And it was all the, I think this might have sparked the conversation with you when I was telling you about my thoughts on it. And you said, look, Vietnam, I was there, you know, 15 years ago, and this is what was happening. Because every time I went to Yangon, and I was actually speaking to investors, I was fairly yep. close to opening something up. Yep. You know, not, yeah, not like pulling in funds, but having the conversations. And yeah, everyone I spoke to was just telling me stories about property prices doubling in three months in central Yangon. And, yeah. you know, all these Burmese are coming back, these repats. And me just really thinking, if I don't do it now, I've lost the opportunity. And that was another thing. I could go to Yangon, well, you know, now obviously it's in a, in a bit of a dire situation. But actually you don't need to be like that first person in there. Let yeah. it develop a little bit. Correct. See if it goes down. See if yeah. all the promises do come true. And then you can come in, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can still do something special. Yeah. We, uh, we actually went to Myanmar as well in 1997, I think. And we worked with the Yangon Institute of Technology. And we helped them upgrade their MBA program, which was still using 1970s textbooks from before the, the change in government. Oh, wow. And it was, it was fascinating as well, just walking around going, yep, 
and you could see there were there the, the ones who'd been in Vietnam were now coming to Myanmar, and it's the same. It was the same thing happening. I said, Jai Yin Yin. Slowly, slowly. Right, right. Yeah. Slowly, slowly. It will take. You have to build local capacity. Mm. What happened in in Vietnam? One of the things that was fascinating when I was there at the beginning, the only traffic jams in Hanoi, because there were no cars, the only traffic jams in Hanoi were around English language training centers. Every Vietnamese said, "I need to learn English. We need to learn English if we're going to develop." And in Myanmar, when we arrived in the 1990s, nobody spoke English anymore. The older generation all spoke English, but the younger generation didn't speak a word. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that has to change, and that takes time to change. Yeah, and then even when it does start to change, as you can see in Sri Lanka and Myanmar now, the political instability can mean that you could go there, build a business, yes. and it could just get taken away. Yeah. I mean, Thailand does have its problems, but it's still a lot more stable it is. than a lot of other countries, right? And if you yeah. want complete stability, you can go to Singapore if, if, if you want to live there. <laughs> but that, yeah, not, 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 yeah, not for everybody, let's say. Yes. How, again, I didn't want to dwell too much on, on, on the lockdowns and everything else, but how would you say the state of players in Bangkok at the moment, you know, coming up to August 2022, how's the industry? It's better than it was in August 2021. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, August, let's see, in 2021, we were closed for seven months. Our doors were yeah, locked. Same here. In 2020, we were locked down for three months, and we thought that was long. Yep. <laughs> and we thought yep. we were getting over it now. And so I think there's still um, uncertainty. People, yes, we're open. We've been open since October last year, but is it going to stay? Is it not going to stay? We hope so. And the government seems to be speaking the right language to reassure people that we can get back to normal. Mm, I um, think so, yeah. But there's still some hesitancy for crowds, big crowds, and you know, do I want to touch something that somebody else has just touched? Um, so I think the industry is, is way better off than it was last year, but it, it'll take some time before the lost revenues or lost business comes back completely. And just the confidence as well, right? Yeah. I think if someone had said last year, a year ago today, would you take the situation now? I'd be like, yeah, because you really didn't know how bad it was going to be. I was actually, we were trying to prepare to, for closures till the end of the year. Yeah. Same. That's what we were looking at. Same, because um, if which you would remember, have just been devastating for if everybody. If you remember last year, they said, okay, we're going to close after Songkran till the end of April. Mm -hmm. And then they said till mid-May. And then it was end of May. And then you start having trust and issues. And then it was <laughs> yeah. end of June. And then they stopped saying Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> like, let's, not, let's not play that game okay. anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and so I was like, okay, prepare at the end of the year. So I guess, you know, what we have seen is that this comeback has just been slower. Actually, the first yes. comeback was quite quick. And then even March 2021, we had a month. I yes. don't know if you remember, we had a month after like a mini wave. We had two months. And we were packed. Yeah. We were packed. And so that was really encouraging. But the big, long 2021 shutdown, I think that changed a lot of things for a lot mm. of people. Are we seeing many... Gyms closed? Is that something you've witnessed here in Bangkok? Yes. There have been a lot of studios that have closed. Um, luckily, the, the bigger players seem to still be around, mm. <laughs> which is a, a good thing. Um, a number of freelancers have gone. They've found something else to do because it was just too hard. Mm. Um, 
but they're still there yeah. <laughs> and they're coming back and it's, mm. you know, things are, things are getting better. So it's just, it's not going to be an overnight process. People still need to be fit. People still need help with that. Of um, that, there is no doubt. There's a lot more emphasis on health. Yeah. And I think that, would be, that will be a driver for the industry. A lot of people are now going, whoa, <laughs> I need to be strong. I need to have a strong immune system. Mm. I need to learn how to take care of myself. Um, so there's a lot of emphasis on managing health. Absolutely. No, I think, I mean, how do you feel about the future of the fitness industry? I think it'll be fine. Yep. I think it'll be fine. It's a great industry. Mm -hmm. It's something that is focusing on benefits for clients. It's not, um, and it's something that is needed. We, <laughs> we all have bodies <laughs> and they need to work. Yeah. Basically in the fitness industry helps you have a body that works. Yep. Couldn't agree more. I think the problem is still there. It needs to be solved probably more than ever you know we saw a lot of people that gained a lot of weight a lot of people put on weight yeah and a lot of people yeah. their cardiovascular systems were, were, were shot to pieces <laughs> couldn't walk upstairs anymore without getting out of breath and of course yeah. that's what you know the disease targets as well so the need is absolutely still there and also for me and i, I really felt this personally fitness now has really become a place to connect to yes. be part of a community, to make friends. Yes. I think that's what the, the, the boutique studio sector has done so well. And that was basically just taken away, right? And so that also has an impact. And I think people really now are loving to getting back yes. and being part of the community again. Yes, it's just, uh, it, it's really important. Humans are face-to-face -face people. Mm. I mean, maybe not the new generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not so much, but I think most people thrive on connection, mm. human connection, personal connection, and, and fitness clubs do that. Yeah. Personal trainers do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel Ooh, super bullish fitness. as much as I ever have. It's definitely just a resettling, right? The dust is settling now yeah. and we're seeing what shifts yeah. have happened, what changes yeah. have happened. Sure. Businesses need to adapt, coaches need to adapt. You know, it would be foolish to think we don't. Um, but I feel just as bullish as I ever did. I really do. And the need is Great. certainly still there. Suzanne, tell us about AFC 2022. What have we got coming up? It's a few months away now. We tell us all about real, it. We have a real event. We have our first face-to-face -face event in awesome. three years. So we're all excited about it. And our delegates are all excited about it. We're getting all kinds of really nice messages from people saying, yay, can't wait to be there. Yay, can't wait to reconnect. So that's the big thing. I mean, our theme is back together again. We did do the online thing a year and a half ago. And while it was a necessary step, it's not something we want to focus mm. on because the, the personal connection is what's important at AFC. So we've got it. It's a bit smaller. Um, we have fewer presenters coming, but we've got spectacular program. Uh, it's really, really interesting. And it's very relevant because it is looking at what is happening in this industry mm. right now? What do we need to do and how do we need to, to adapt? So the program is fantastic. The presenters who are coming are great. We have a number of newbies as well as some old established favorites. Who have we got coming in? Ah, uh, we have who? Fabio's in and again. Fabio's like, in again. Such a great are sending three people, Angie Miller, Rick, Richie, and Fabio. Nice. So NASM are sending people. We've got Peter Twist, Ronell Hobson, uh, Joe Drake, Nick Tuminello. 
So there's a lot from strength and conditioning and personal training. Awesome. We've got Pilates. We've got Serafino coming from Italy for the first time. Um, we've got Leslie Bender coming. We haven't had her for a number of years, and she's all excited about coming back. Helen Vanderberg, who's a perennial favorite. She's awesome. <laughs> oh, she's just spectacular. Really, really good. And we've got Douglas Coleman coming from ISSN, so for sports nutrition. We had it. We had him a few years ago, and he's wonderful as well. And we've got the PH360 guys from, mm. from Australia coming up with the personalized fitness. Emma Masters, of course, right? I found a chat with her the other day. Is she coming yes. over? Yep. Emma awesome. Masters is coming. Vanessa Leone is coming from Australia. Claire Norgate has one of the sessions that's the most popular, women's fitness. Nice. She's really good. So it'll be a nice mix of sessions and nice mix of presenters and topics. It's good to have that broad range as well. I remember when, when I was going to the FC in the early days, it was nice to do one on nutrition and then you could do like yeah. an active one where you actually did the workout as well. It was kind of nice to have that, that you, mix. You, you have to. We actually, we, we tell people, first comers, guys, take it easy. <laughs> Because at first, everybody wants to do the workouts and the, and the workshops. And right, the, you just go mental at like 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And afternoon Friday, now. they're all like, <laughs> they're sweaty, they're happy, they're grinning. Saturday morning, same. Saturday noon, they start to say, uh, fading, where's a lecture? <laughs> and by Sunday, they're asleep on the floor. The funny thing is the workouts, you've got that natural coach's competitiveness that comes out. You look around and it's not a normal class. Everyone's trying to outdo each other. Correct. They're definitely a lot of fun. I hear you have Jack Thomas speaking this year as well, is that right? Yes, we have Jack okay. Thomas. In fact, Great. we have a number of boutique gym owners from That's around right. the region. Okay, uh, attending or speaking? Speaking. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, I'll we've be with CJ Noel, Lee. We've got CJ Lee, we've got Alvin Neto, we've got Glenn you, Hang, right? we've got... So yeah, our yeah, panel is CJ Lee, who I used to work with at the lab, great yeah. friend of mine. We, yeah. We've stayed in touch all the way through yeah. since he's left uh, Thailand. He's doing great things as well in KL, which is really cool. So really excited yeah. for that in Glen Ang. And yeah. so I think... We just thought it's time to bring up... I mean, yeah. the industry's evolved tremendously since we Absolutely. first started it. And, well, you, for example, you came as an attendee and right. you've been a presenter for a couple of years now. Yeah. And same thing for others. It's That's just, really cool. That's really cool to have that... that Evolutionary progress, right? Yeah, people yeah. who are locally based, like building them up. I yeah. think as well, and yeah, it's like for our talk, you know, it's not just for business owners, it's for coaches that want to learn more about the business side. And I think every coach needs that. You need to think about your freelance coaching business as a business. You yes. know, I think we kind of shy away from that as an industry. We do, and it's a big problem yeah. because personal trainers become freelance because they like personal training, yeah. for example. But like it or not, you've got to sell yourself. You are your own business. So you have to develop sales skills. Yeah. You have to develop business development skills. You have to know how to manage your finances. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like I'm a personal trainer, they shall come. Yeah, right? We talked about this at length on the podcast, and I'm really passionate about it. You know, if you're a coach that quote-unquote doesn't do sales well actually if someone inquires about training with you and you don't do sales and they don't buy a package you've lost the opportunity to help them correct and you have to reframe it in your mind like that does it mean like you force them it's to buy a package against their will and no. you know grab their credit card off them and give, buy a thousand sessions no. no it's not that and we've seen how that can have a bad effect on the industry it's about getting them started yeah find out their needs find yes. out what's what's they're struggling with yeah 
and help them. Yeah. You know, and once you reframe it like that, because I've been through this process. I used to hate sales, you know, didn't want to go anywhere near it. And now I feel completely differently. Yeah. And also, I think one of the other changes in the industry is moving, move towards coaching rather than training. Mm. We use, yeah, we call, call our, our coaches fitness coaches, coaches not personal <laughs> trainers. Yeah. So that's important as well because that also emphasizes the, okay, tell mm. me what you need. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about where you want to go. Okay, I think I can help you. You're not selling, but you are selling because you're, you're convincing your building trust. Yes. And your potential client is going to say, I think I could work with this person. Mm. This person can help me. This person's actually asking about me and cares, seems to care about yeah. me. So yeah. I think that emphasis... Um, helps as well and it's important for fitness professionals to become more coaches and less trainers yeah absolutely no totally agree and we actually changed the terminology at base in the very very early days yeah it's yeah it's really a mindset shift you know it is one of like selling but do you want your coaches to buy a program with you well yes the only way they can do that is you sell it to them <laughs> it's literally part of the process so how you do that you know, it's, it's, it's certainly important and will help more people get started. Have you seen, you know, you talked about training and coaching. Is that a shift you've seen? Because you offer so many courses on different things. Yeah. Was it at the beginning, right, I want to be a trainer? Yes. Whereas now it's like, I want to learn a whole host of skills to help my clients? Yeah. Um, at the beginning it was, I want to be a certified trainer. Poof. Okay. Then, I want that certificate on my wall. What? I want the certificate on my wall. Correct. I want the little <laughs> card in my wall. <laughs> right, you right. Know, to show clients. There we go. me. <laughs> Um, but a lot of people come back and they come back. We have a health coach course, which is all about coaching and not just looking at training. So we have to kind of flip people's brain <laughs> into becoming a coach. And what does that mean? Uh, we've got uh, certified strength and conditioning. So we've got specializations and people are advancing their specializations depending on who they like to train, where they want to go. So we have a number of those things happening and people taking advanced We've got people who took personal training taking Pilates. We've got Pilates people taking yoga. We've got yoga cool. people taking. So in fact, you're getting much more well-rounded fitness professionals, mm -hmm. which is nice to see. And of course, there's the short courses. There's the nutrition and the senior specialist and the youth specialist and the women's specialist and the everything specialist. <laughs> It's great to see that maturity of the market, that people want these things, right? One of the things that's changed tremendously is it's gone from being equipment-based to being client-based. Mm -hmm. So when we first started, ooh, what's TRX? I need to learn how to use the TRX. I need to learn how to do BOSU ball training. I need to know how to do this. But that's changed because now everyone expects that you know how to use equipment point is how do you program to help clients reach their goals mm, and absolutely. that's great and what what in particular do I need to be careful of if I'm training women or seniors or youth or injured clients injured clients like post one. rehab yeah, yeah what how do you what do I have to do differently mm, mm. so people are coming back for that and that's fantastic that's 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 good and that's what I kind of seen but obviously you put your ear to the ground more closely with this kind of thing. Are you proud of what you've done in Thailand? I'm proud of our team. Yep. 
we have a really good team and they put themselves all into it. They're now owners. FIT is owned by its staff, not by me anymore. Um, and they've, they're innovative, they listen, they suggest things. We, it's, it's a very different type of team to many traditional Thai teams. They're all involved, they're all working together. They're putting all of their energy into it, so it's really good. And yeah, so we've contributed to the development of the industry and that's, that's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really nice. By developing the company in that way, has it helped Fit Thailand be more effective and to have more impact? Yes, sure. Because the ideas don't all come from my head, mm. you know? <laughs> there's a lot of things I don't know about Thailand, there's a lot of things I don't know about fitness, there's a lot of things I don't know about a lot of things. Funny that. <laughs> Um, and if you've got a team and they're all contributing and they all have different areas of expertise, yeah. we've got athletic trainers, we've got national athletes, national coaches, we've got, we've got uh, physiotherapists, we've got group X instructors, we've got people with all kinds of different backgrounds who see different things and see different needs. So it's great. That's awesome. Well, you should be proud of your team. You should also be very proud of the effect that you've had on the fitness industry. I mean, I've seen it evolve and seen it develop and seen, you know, the influence that you've had, but also talking through it today has really kind of helped me understand that better and I'm sure our listeners as well. So thank you very much, Suzanne, for taking My the time. Pleasure. If My any pleasure. of the listeners are interested in coming to AFC 2022, where should they visit? Who should they speak to? And what are their options for joining? I understand there's a two and a three day option yes. this year, yeah. right? Yeah, we we're, we're being flexible this year because we know that people have restrictions and limitations. So we have a two day pass. You can come for Saturday, Sunday only. Uh, you can come for the full three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, you can just sign up for a post-conference. We've got six one-day post-conference sessions afterwards. So you can do any option, any combination thereof. Um, you can go to the website, www.asiafitconference.com or go to our Facebook page or phone fit or message fit or line fit or whatever and we'll help you get registered. There are a number of options if you have groups, you have group discounts. We're trying our best to encourage people to come and to make it affordable for them to come. Awesome. Well, we'll leave links to all of that, of course, in the notes okay. of the episode. So it's very easy for people to, to to play a part in it. I'm really excited for it. Really excited to see people in person Thank again, for you sure. Thank you for participating. Not a, yeah, not a problem. The pleasure is all mine. And for sure, we'll be doing a lot of podcast content there as well. So we'll be speaking to the different attendees, um, speaking to the presenters, of course, as well. Yes. I've already spoke to Emma Masters, who's been on the show, done through yes. Zoom. We want to do one on music yeah. and the importance of that in the group class experience. So yeah, super pumped. Super Super excited and we will certainly um, get us some good content from that as well. So thank you again, Suzanne. Really appreciate it. It's My been a pleasure. lot of fun and I'll see you soon. Okay, take care.